You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. So well, good morning, everybody. If I don't have the pleasure of knowing you, my name is Will Davis Jr., and I used to serve here as senior pastor a long time ago. And uh, some of you have started coming this summer and didn't know I was missing. And you may be disappointed today. I hope you stick around after this is all over. Um, I've been on a break, and I'm so grateful for it. What do you think about the windows? You know, we have, who knew we had windows in here? 20 years, and we discovered windows a week and a half ago. If you're online, welcome. We're glad to see you. Um, I have a lot of things to say as regards to thank you. Never show up for church when the pastor's been out for three months. It's not, it could be a minute. Um, I want to thank very overtly the teachers who stood on this stage the last um, 12 weeks. Um, I was hovering and watching, and you don't know how hard that is until you try to do it once. Um, one of them said to me, to be responsible for half the content of a service with people like you, with the things you're dealing with. Anyway, I, there's a bit of a thank you I put together um, it's a little longer than normal, but it's well worth it. Check this out. If you have a child that came back, a prodigal that returned, you share that because there's someone else in this room that's waiting for that exact same thing. If your marriage was done and you were ready to sign the divorce papers, or maybe you already did, but you hear some of the testimonies at ACF, how people decided not to get divorced or after they got divorced, they got remarried. You hear these things and you're like, oh, that's possible. We are not bound by the natural. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the supernatural can enter our natural world at any given moment. I think we should expect it. I think we should ask for it. And that is what I want to encourage you guys to do during this series. And so I want to say like, is that where you find yourself today? Having prayed for a prodigal to come home, having prayed for a relationship to be restored, having prayed for a sickness to be healed, having prayed for an addiction to be freed from. Do you find yourself in a place of desperation like Jehoshaphat with the two options that he had? I'm either gonna fear or I'm gonna trust. Do you find yourself like him with a great horde coming against you? I mean, what a great word. I feel daily like a great horde is coming against me. But can I say like Jehoshaphat, God, my eyes are on you because I don't know what to do. There's there's things coming at me. And you've listened to me pray this prayer for 15 years, for 20 years, for five years. My eyes are on you. You see the prophet Moses encountered a burning bush hundreds of years before this moment. And in much the same way, he fell on his knees and out of the blazing fire that shone through this burning bush moment, God's presence spoke his name. I am who I am. 
first time we get God's personal name in scripture is I am who I am, past, present, and future. I am the living God, the only living God. And Jesus, in a similar moment, speaks into the desperation of this leprous man and says, what? I am the living God? Guess what? God is willing. I am willing, be cleansed. You are your own evidence of a miracle. When you one are saved and you experience salvation, that's a miracle. And two, when you work and strive and try and fight for a pure heart before God, that's a miracle. When you pray over somebody who annoys you or pray for a politician that you don't like, when you reorder your heart, when you hear bad news and you wanna grumble and complain, but instead you just surrender that to the Lord, when you choose not to gossip, when you divert your thought patterns from lust and you repent in that moment, that's a miracle. Every time you click away from a tempting pop-up, every time you pray for somebody you don't understand or who persecutes you, every time you choose to close your eyes and ears to something evil, when you speak a kind, life-giving word over someone, when you stare suffering in the face and you say, God, you're good, these are miracles. These are things that we are not able to do by our own strength. And I know that as a true testimony. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it is an allegory about Christianity. And these four children step into this wardrobe and come out on the other side, and they're in this fairy tale land called Narnia. And Narnia has an evil witch, and it also has a very good king who happens to be a lion. And his name is Aslan. And when the children learn about this, this good king, they said, but is he safe? And the answer is, is he safe? No, he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. But he's good. In the Old Testament, Isaiah calls Jesus the wonderful counselor. When he's pointing to the Messiah, he calls him a wonderful counselor. When you think of counseling, do you think that's safe? I don't think that's safe. They're going to dig up some stuff and deal with your stuff, right? You're going to be doing some hard work in that place. Jesus, if he's our wonderful counselor, he knows when we need a kick in the pants and he knows when we need gentle kindness. And his correction isn't always going to be the tenderness that we seek. It's gonna be exactly, exactly what we need. What you can think of is this. Jesus knows the perfect pressure to apply in our lives and the perfect rate of speed in which to move us. He knows the perfect pressure and the perfect speed to move us along to get us where he needs us to go. And, and that's what these messianic miracles truly were. They were, they were these prerequisites that, the, that religion had put on God that he was not obligated to fulfill. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus is that he fulfilled them anyway. He didn't have to. I want you to understand that this is an example of the extraordinary love and seemingly limitless patience Jesus has with us. 
that he's willing to jump through our hoops. Isn't that amazing? What other God, lowercase g, would do that? None of them, but our beloved Jesus. Could you imagine the four? Yes, this is when you say amen. Could you imagine the four, the four faithful nameless friends high-fiving, chest-bumping, he did it! Yes. And they sprint out of there, all five of them, with a destructed house in their wake. <laughs> and the glory of God came upon the people and they testified, we've never seen anything like this. Can that be our heart cry, Austin Christian Fellowship? To come in here expectant, God to do miracles, signs and wonder, and us to leave saying, we've never seen anything like this. Doesn't that Austin, Texas need that? Doesn't the world need that? A faith family coming together saying, God, we're going to have just enough faith to put people in front of you expecting you to do miracles. Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, guys, that, that's a high bar. That is some amazing teaching. And from people who don't teach a lot. So I want to thank them because that's a lot of work and it's nerve-wracking and you deal with satanic oppression all week long and you you get through and you want to go fire yourself because you think I was terrible and until you've done it you don't know how hard it is the second group I want to thank is you because you loved on them and you supported them and you amened and you came down for prayer and now her I was in the prayer calls during the week and I'd hear you praying for the teacher that was up this week and that's just a sweet church. Uh, a lot of times when a senior pastor takes off, you see, you know, whatever, and grumbling and moaning and how long is it going to be? And you guys were the opposite of that. So thank you for encouraging our teachers. Um, I want to thank the teachers for setting the bar so high. Uh, I didn't show any clips from this series the last four weeks, which was equally stunning. But anyway, what a summer. Um, yay, God. If you need a Bible, would you raise your hand? Uh, we got our volunteers coming down the aisles, and we love giving Bibles away. I want you to find John, the 19th chapter. Uh, please take a Bible if you want one. I'd love you to have this and give it away if you wanted to keep it or whatever. John 19, I can tell you where I was and what I was doing and where I was sitting and probably what I was wearing when I read this text and said, that's my text for Labor Day. Um, so this has been brewing for a minute. I will try to keep it within our time frames as we have a lot to do today. Um, let me pray. Lord, thank you for the time. Thank you for the chance to be back up here. Thank you for grace and mercy and getting me and Susie and our family through a really great summer. Uh, but I miss this place and miss these people. And um, pray this moment will be all you want it to be. Thank you for the great teaching this summer and this great church that honored those teachers so much. And that's biblical, God. You tell us to honor our teachers. And those who feed us are worthy, I think the scriptures say, of double honor. So thank you for the way these guys responded to the teaching team this summer. And we pray this now that you take this moment and make it holy, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is called a call to secret disciples. 
John 19 tells the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and then the subsequent hustling about to deal with his body before the sun sets and Sabbath starts. Uh, you've got basically one disciple left, John, and the rest of them have scattered, and you've got a bunch of women, and you've got a, now a broken, dead body of Jesus on a cross, and the Romans didn't do a, they didn't worry about what to do with the bodies afterwards. If you didn't, and nobody claimed it, they'd eventually take it down and throw it in a common grave. After these things, verse 38, John 19, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, went and asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted him permission. Isaiah 53 had predicted that Jesus would, be, would die with commoners, but be buried in the wealthy, and Joseph actually he didn't know he was doing it at the time, but he loaned his tomb to Jesus. A uh, big tomb cut out of rock, very expensive in a garden area, very close to where they crucified him, and he said, he can have my tomb. Joseph was one of the Supreme Court leaders, and he'd been quiet during the trial of Jesus, even though he believed. Nicodemus, verse 39, in John chapter 3, who'd first come to him by night, that's John 3 is a record of that, came by night because he was probably afraid to come in daylight and be seen, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as was the burial custom. Scholars think that maybe Nicodemus and Joseph had coordinated their efforts because scriptures tell us that Joseph brought the linens and then Nicodemus brought the spices. Both are required. So they may have said, hey, we got to do something. And so it was after the death of Jesus, curiously, before the resurrection, curiously, that these two men kind of came out of the closet and said, look, whatever... This thing may be over, but I need people to understand how I felt about this man. There's no telling how much it would have meant to Christ if either had spoken up during his trial and said, now wait a minute. And they did later when the apostles were being persecuted, but they were quiet at the trial. The word secret is the word crypto. I think of our word kryptonite, like a secret weapon, something hidden. The word secret is something which is concealed, something which is not going to be exposed or known unless it's revealed by the one hiding it. So a secret disciple honestly ought to be an oxymoron. Like you should never see the word secret and disciple in the same sentence together. Because there's really no such thing as a secret disciple. The whole call to discipleship is public. It's take up your cross and follow me. But as I read this this summer, 
I, I remember thinking, boy, what a relative word because there's so many secret disciples these days. As culture has shifted, things have gotten a bit hot out there and Christians are becoming, true Christians are becoming less and less acceptable. Morality insults people, absolutes insult people. Jesus insults people. Holiness, of which we're going to spend about eight weeks talking, beginning in two weeks, in this series called Sacred, holiness insults people. The call to holiness insults people. More and more people have kind of gone dark and disassociated from churches, maybe, and I'm not indicting anyone watching currently on, online here, but maybe just reserve themselves for church online where no one can really see them, but they can keep at least a foot in the door. They've changed morality, they've changed definitions of truth in order to blend in, and their discipleship has gone secret. That's, that should never be the case, but it is for many today, and maybe for some of you today as well. So let me give you a definition of a secret disciple. It'll be on the screen. It's secret, and by the way, I'm going to give you a lot later by way of action, so you might get your phones ready to take some pictures if you want to get the notes. Um, a secret disciple is someone who knows and even believes the truth about Jesus, but has kept that belief a secret. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. They, they had something click early on about Christ, but just never really went public with it. They cannot be counted on by other believers to stand in the gap with them. and to participate in the process of kingdom building. So it's like your, your football team takes the field with nine guys as opposed to 11, which is pretty much what my team, Bader, did just last night. Just, I'm back, and I'm so mad. It's a bad day. You, you're missing your center. You're missing your quarterback. You're missing a wide receiver. You're missing people on defense. And this, the tragedy of secret disciples is that those of you who are in the game, who are carrying weight and carrying water for the kingdom, could desperately use the gifts, skills, encouragement, resources, prayers of the disciples who are in hiding. The, the global count of Christians is significant, but yet so many of them have gone dark or, have, or are dark that there's, there's, you've heard the 80-20 rule, 20% of people do 80% of the work. It may not even be that. But so many Christians carry so much water and give so much money and do so much praying to fill in the gap left by secret disciples who are, can't be counted on. They want all the benefits of Christianity, which is heaven, and maybe the comfort of the Spirit now, but they don't want any of the responsibility of Christianity. They want to receive, they do not want to give. They want to have crowns in heaven, but don't want to have to earn them. And so other believers can't count on them. When things get serious, to stand in the gap with them. Think of the impact that Joseph and Nicodemus could have had if they had identified with Jesus early in his run. And there's no, there's no shame on these guys. They came strongly 
to Jesus' defense after he died and were present. They think the upper room where the church met probably belonged to Joseph. So he came through, but it was after the death. Think how they felt when the resurrection happened and they got a second chance. So characteristics of a secret disciple based on scripture. See if you can identify with these. I certainly can. Number one, they're motivated by fear. Joseph was an unbelievably wealthy man, unbelievably powerful man in Jerusalem and probably the political nation of Israel. One of the highest elected officials in the nation under the Roman occupation. And he was intimidated by the Jews. He was a Jew, but he was like, honey, if I come public with Jesus, then I could lose my standing. We could be outcasts. I could be cast out of the synagogue. I mean, everything we worked for, the reputation we have in town, it could be over. Same with Nicodemus. It's like, if I go public with this faith in this carpenter who's now being condemned as a criminal and given the worst death possible, what's going to happen to us? And so the fear, not necessarily of anything physical happening, but just the fear of public retribution. You're one of them. It's kind of what Peter experienced by the fire that night when he denied Jesus. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't know what you're talking about. 12-year-old girl. Aren't you one of his disciples? Intimidated. No. I can count times in my life I've been quiet because of the, the setting. You want to kill a party? Tell somebody you're a pastor. Buzzkill. Who invited you? Fear of rejection, fear of judgment, fear of retribution, fear of social or political or financial because of job, maybe career impact. If you really got honest about your faith, the fear of the loss of a lifestyle. So many of us don't want to embrace Christianity publicly because it means we have to start living like Christians and that includes money and behavior and we can't have that little weekend side gig we have going on or the habits and the sin and it's all, it's just easier to keep it quiet. The second characteristic of a secret disciple is an unwillingness to commit to anything in Christianity. From being counted on in community, like, will you be in a circle with me and let's share our faith together, our, let's walk our lives together? Well, yeah, I can't promise you that. can't promise I'll be here. An unwillingness to be counted in the body of Christ as a church because you get seen and it requires Sundays and sometimes more than Sundays and it's, I, you know, I, they, they just, as the definition said, they can't be counted on because they're not willing to say yes. And if you read scripture, the option of saying yes isn't really given to Christians. Now, that didn't fly in our culture, but it's the way it is scripturally. We're, we're called servants of Christ, stronger word. We're called slaves of Christ. Paul, an apostle, a slave of Jesus. My life is, I'm in a Roman cell because he wants me here. My life is not my own. But secret disciples want to keep all that at arm's length just in case. 
Final characteristic of a secret disciple, and this goes back to what Julie Washington said so poignantly on this stage last week, is they're not a blessing to anybody. Julie talked about how we're called to be a blessing, and that, that promise in Scripture, that call in Scripture, goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, and God called Abram, said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. The people of God are going to be the blessing of salt and light on the planet. And that's what we do. We bless. And people who are secret disciples don't bless anybody. You have to be flowing to be a blessing. And secret disciples don't flow. Stuff goes in, nothing comes out. That's brutal. And Julie did such a great job last week calling us to be blessings, to think about others, to lead with others. We try to do that as a church. Michelle Briggins, our missions director, talked about how we're, we're here for others this summer. We're not here for us. We as Christians are here for others. Others are our mission statement. They're basically, we're here for others to help them know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. Secret disciples don't have that in mind. It's, it's about them, and they, they, they don't bless anybody, really, which is completely counterintuitive to Christianity. What if Jesus decided not to be a blessing? We're not here. So here's the point, friends. These are th really good men Family men, religious men, respected men, and they were having zero kingdom impact. And you can be really respected and be a great family person and be an upright citizen and be moral and be good and have zero kingdom impact because there are a lot of really good people out there that don't know anything about the kingdom. Good isn't part of it. There's more to it than that. And these are, these are very respected people in the community, religious leaders, political leaders, upright citizens, Everybody knew who they were, and they were counted on as men of integrity, and they were not in any way at all influencing the kingdom. Because it gone, they, were, they were secret. The thing that mattered most, take up your cross and follow me. Check your posture, check your status, check your societal wealth at the door, and just come follow me. They wouldn't. And so they were having zero impact. But something happened to them. What happened? It's really, it's what got me is that they came out before the resurrection. Jesus, in fact, said in John chapter 12, verse 32, when you lift me up, I will draw all men to myself. Well, that happened to guys, actually a thief hanging next to Jesus and a Roman centurion all confessed faith without knowing anything about the resurrection. There's something about the death of Jesus and the way he died and the injustice of it and the brokenness of the followers and the prayers of the man on the cross that moved people so that these two political leaders, religious leaders who'd been secret the entire three and a half years of his ministry thought, whatever, I'm going out. It may be too late, but I'm in. <laughs> and before they knew of the wonderful Sunday morning events, they were out. Something about the death of Jesus stirred them. And they saw that body on the cross, they saw those ladies struggling with it, and they said, we gotta do something. Okay, hey Nick, this is Joe. I told my friend Andreas, who's a friend of this church, I was talking about this, Andreas said, yeah, there's a sermon called When Nick and Joe Saved Easter. Great title. Nicodemus, Joseph Arimathea, they saved Easter. Dang, somebody just got it. Preacher jokes, which is an oxymoron, by the way. Um, They got together and said, we got to do something. So they came with, you ready? 
their reputations. That's, wait, who's that guy on the ladder? That's Joseph. Who's the guy holding the ladder? That's Nicodemus. Aren't they, weren't they, what are they doing? Friends, it's awfully hard to be subtle when you're holding the broken, dead body of Jesus. Pretty hard to be secret when you're helping, when you've got the pliers in your hand and you're pulling the nails out of his. And you're gently bringing down that body off that cross to anoint, to a group of weeping women. Their reputations didn't matter anymore. A significant injustice had been done, and it was time to speak up with whatever they could do, even though it was over from their standpoint. Secondly, they brought their resources. This is one of the biggest, strong word, forgive me. I'm out of practice, so here we go. Um, Scandals, to me, of the Christian church is the lack of resources that are hoarded by Christians who claim to follow Jesus but don't give and the needs that go unmet. And the ACF is a bit of an exception. We are. You guys are great givers. But for the most part, the average Christian gives about 1% of their resources away and the average church gives about 1% and needs go unmet. And Deuteronomy says, look, if everybody in the, in the land does what they're supposed to do, you won't have any poverty. They brought their resources. Nicodemus brought um, the spices. Joseph brought the linens. 100 pounds of spices. Probably cost something. They were wealthy guys. They could afford it. But they stepped up with money, with resources, to help the body of Jesus. Finally, they fully identified with Jesus and his people. And that's that's kind of the moment I want to give you, is that Again, when you're on that ladder and you've got Jesus' body over your shoulder and you're bringing him down, you really can't do that secretly. You're in. And what some of you online and what some of you in the room need to do is get the blood of Jesus all over you. You just need to identify with Jesus and let his blood be what says enough about who you are. You can't Follow Christ and not have it be a little messy. So what will it take for you, disciples? Secret disciples. You guys online who believe, would say you believe right now, are a little offended that maybe you think I'm talking to you, but honestly, most people don't know your story, that you love Jesus, you don't contribute, you're not, you can't be counted on. So maybe I am talking to you. What's it going to take to pull you out of your secrecy? For Joseph and for Nicodemus, it was the injustice of the cross and the futility of the efforts of the women to get him down and the brutality of the Romans who were going to throw him in a common grave and they said, we've got to do something. This man can't be left this way. And they put their reputations and their resources on the line. What's it going to take for you? I mean, I'm curious, because if, the, if Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, 
the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and 2,000 years of church history aren't enough for you, what's it going to take? If the evidence we have that Jesus is really the unique figure in history, the single unique figure in history, if that's not enough, what's it going to take? For a friend of mine, it was a failing marriage. Good friend who called me one day in a disaster and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, guess who became a public disciple after that? God has his ways of nudging private disciples into public stances. Sometimes it's an illness that humbles you. Sometimes it's a family crisis. Sometimes it's unemployment. Sometimes it's a national crisis. Sometimes it's just a gentle drip, drip, drip of the Holy Spirit, and you go, what is that noise? And finally you say, I'm in. But I'm wondering today, this Labor Day weekend here in August, what is it, September, sorry. What's it going to take to jar some of you out of your slumber? And to realize Christianity, there's nothing secret about it. Especially in a country like ours, when People feel the need to say just about anything publicly these days. Are we really going to be so intimidated that we can't talk about Jesus in a way that's meaningful? Are you so intimidated about your work or your Facebook status or your social status that you're going to put Jesus in your pocket and bring him out when it's convenient, like on Sunday morning from 9 to 11, but no other times? That is not Christianity. It's not there's so much more to it. It's, 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 you carry his cross. You live for him. You give for him. You love him. You worship him. What's it going to take? Because as Chris said at the end of his message on the video, what Austin needs, what River Place and Steiner Ranch, Four Points area, need, what our country needs is Christians who aren't ashamed. Aren't secret. So let's talk about, this is where you want to get your phone ready, how to move from secret disciple to just disciple. I've got some steps for you. The first one, and the most important one, and this is really all that's necessary until you do this, nothing else matters, is we need to rethink the phrase, Jesus is Lord. Lord kind of limits your options. (laughs) Kuios is the word. It was the word a slave would use in reference to his master. So Jesus is not president. Jesus is not CEO. He's Lord. He's king who rules over kings. He's the Lord who rules over lords. He's, as John David referenced in his video, he's the God with a big G in front of his name. And so when you say Lord, you're kind of limiting your options. Like, we don't vote in the church. We follow Jesus. We don't push back when our Lord says, hey, I want you to release your resources or walk across the street and pray for an enemy or 
I want you to move your family across the country and serve in this setting, or I want you to become involved in missions and get involved in serving. When he says, we say yes. And in our, in our country, it was like, well, let me, let me get that to a committee, Christ, and I'll get back to you. Because we got plans. And it's, it's hard in a democratic culture, and one where, especially today, when independence of spirit is so promoted for many of us to really get our brains around Lord. But in the, the day of Jesus, it wasn't a big deal at all. They got it. it just, you don't have any options. You don't have any independence. You are a follower of some, you belong to someone else. He's your master. He's your master. We got to rethink that, church, because a lot of us think we have a say. This is not a, the kingdom isn't up for a vote. The king isn't up for a vote. Your convenience really doesn't matter to him, nor mine. Nor does your comfort. Nor mine. Aren't you glad you came to church on Labor Day and this fun? Woohoo! But we need this wake-up call, friends. So many of us think that, well, I'll, I'll, sorry, I'm on vacation next weekend. Everything's his. Everything is his. I have nothing that belongs to me if I'm his follower. And he'll give me the freedom to make choices, and he'll give me the ability to do right or wrong, but it's all his. And I will answer for every moment Every word, every dime to him. There is an accounting coming. So maybe as this service ends in a minute, some of you need to kneel or stand and just say, Jesus is Lord. And let that sink in. After that, some of you, many of you, probably need to be baptized. And we'll put the baptism slide up because we're baptizing next weekend. This has become an optional piece for me, which is, again, one of those things like giving. I don't understand how baptism could be optional. It was the first act of obedience to anybody who believed. It is the first act of obedience. And as I was telling a friend recently, there's, there's a whole line of blessings that come after you get baptized, but they're withheld until you do. Because obedience brings blessing. Baptism is the identification with Jesus publicly that's been universal for 2,000 years. It's the entryway into his church, capital C. We enter the kingdom by the Holy Spirit. We enter to the church through baptism. And as if you're holding out because of shame or you want to get your ducks in a row, you don't understand what baptism is. So I want you to take a picture of this slide, and, and many of you need to sign up for next weekend because it's time for you to quit being secret about your discipleship. And what happens in this room when we baptize is life-altering and changing and amazing, and you'll wake up going, oh, I wish I would have done this five years ago when I first started believing. Some of you were baptized as infants or babies because your parents wanted you to, but you've not been baptized since faith has become your faith. And that's when baptism matters is when it's yours, not when it's your parents. So next weekend's a chance for a lot of secret disciples to go public. And I hope you will. hope some of you guys online that are 
struggling will say, I'm in. Sign up. We're going to bring in a big garden hose and just spray the rest of you down so you might as well plan on it. Just in case. Not above doing that. Community. Secret disciples don't want to be in community because they don't want to be honest with people. They don't want to have their heart exposed to people. They don't want to risk the disappointment of somebody letting them down or they're letting somebody down. And communities, when you say, I'm in, your life, period. And you're in mine. So our group's email, I think, is behind me, or it will be here in a minute. We do, the way we do community here is we do it through small groups. It's what we've done for 30 years in a church. It's what's been happening since Acts chapter 2. And again, I need to ask all you secret disciples to start being willing to engage your life and other people's lives in a meaningful way. Which means church for you is going to have to go beyond Sunday. Where you sit with somebody and somebody's and you share together and you pray together and you read scripture together and you walk through life together and you, when the crisis come, your phone rings. Secret disciples can't be counted on for, for community and I'm asking you to agree and reach out this week and say, I need to get my life engaged with others because your growth trajectory will do that. When you're flying solo, you can't grow. When you get in a group with other Christians that are running, you'll do that. And maybe that's why some of you don't want to, is you don't want the accountability. Then why are you a Christian? Why bother calling yourself a Christian if you don't want to be serious about it? It's not a club. So get in the game. Next, having just said that, serve. Christians have spiritual gifts, Julie talked about that last week, that are for the body. They're not for you. My spiritual gift of teaching, which I'm using right now, is not for me, it's for you. If I don't use it, you can't be blessed by it. You have gifts of hospitality, you have gifts of mercy, you have gifts of giving, you have gifts of leadership, you have gifts of intercession, you have words of wisdom and words of knowledge, you have all these spiritual gifts that aren't for you, they're for us. And you guys sitting at home aren't using your gifts. And there's holes all over the body of Christ where you could be contributing and you're not. It is in serving where you begin to bless people. So next slide is our get in the game. I think we're calling it Palooza. And this is just a serving round table, so to speak. It's going to be a, a festival, open house, where our ministry partners are going to be here, our serving teams are going to be here. You can actually do something meaningful while you're here. It's five to seven, there'll be food. But it's, if, if you want to find out a nonprofit here in the city that we support, or other ways in ACF, you can, be, you can start flowing, like what goes in goes out to other people. It's a great place to start. It's going to be a riot. And finally, giving. Without apology, I mentioned resources. And again, this is a bit of an exceptional church. Um, I saw a financial statement this week that between the money we've already given this year to local and international 
ministries and the money designated to go out in bank accounts to missions, we're at 41% giving right now for the year. That's great. But wait, we can't do that if you don't give. And when Nick and Joe saved Easter, they showed up with their resources. And the thing that I'm, I so get frustrated with as a pastor is the gaping holes in nonprofits who are on the bottom of the food chain, the gaping holes in pregnancy ministries and homeless ministries and opportunities just because so many Christians have decided that what they have is theirs. If you want to hang on to your stuff, don't be a Christian. It, it, it changes ownership when you start following Jesus and there's a stamp on it that says this belongs to property of the kingdom not yours. And if you don't want that to be true, then you don't need to follow Jesus because it's all his and he has plans for it. <laughs> and what I found is the more I'm releasing it, the more I have to manage. It's weird. But some of you need to step up financially and solve some problems by just being obedient. Just Start with that 10% and watch out and buckle up because you'll be amazed what happens. So as I conclude, I want to put a verse of scripture on the screen in just a minute that's really hard. I, I, don't, I don't have a warm fuzzy to end. I need, I need to give you the words of Jesus because some of you need to share this message with your friends who are secret disciples. And I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer for a recommitment. And maybe we'll say that phrase, Jesus is Lord, together. The verse is Mark chapter 8, verse 38. And it's Jesus speaking. He said a lot of stuff like this. He also said, come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest. But he also says stuff like this. Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of them, the Son of Man, that's a reference to Daniel, and it's a reference to Jesus. Daniel, the book of Daniel. Of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I just need you to be aware of that. This whole sticking our toe in the water and trying it out, seeing how it goes, isn't going to fly when the Son of Man comes back. Some of us are going to hear, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's harsh. It's, it's this, and we probably need to say more about that in today's culture when so many of us think that Jesus is at our beck and call and we ring a bell and he does what we want and when we don't need him, we tell him we'll see you later. That is not Christianity. Don't call it Christianity. So I need some of you that are pinged by this, some of you online that are pinged by this message to decide it's, this is the jolt you needed and it's time. So let's pray for just a moment together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you. We come to you with three words. You, 
our Lord. We say that and it has no impact on the fact that you're Lord. It's just true. We just acknowledge it. But it doesn't make you Lord by the fact that we say it. You already are Lord. You guys online, I hope you have your hands turned up, palms up, and you're praying with me right now. But Lord, I want to add a fourth word to that prayer. The personal, possessive pronoun, my. You are my Lord. You're my Lord. Today, it ends. Today, the rebellion, the secrecy, the hypocrisy, the shame, the, the what ifs, the holding back is over. And you're my, you're my Lord. You're my king. You're my master. You're my master. No matter who else is in, no matter who else supports, if I'm the last one on the planet, you're mine. Some of you need to say that with that kind of passion right there. You're my Lord. And if I have to go to my death for you, okay, you went to yours for me. And I repent of convenience and I repent of comfort and I repent of my schedule and I repent of everything that keeps me out of church and I repent of being busy and I repent of being proud and I repent of American laziness and I'm in. You're my Lord. And I will do whatever you ask. I'll get baptized. I'll get in a small group. I'll serve. I'll give. I'll go. Because it's all yours. Lord, we need to repent of our secrecy. And I pray the way you jolted John, John, excuse me, Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus, that you'll jolt us today. Jolt the sweet people online, jolt us in this room who've been playing games that we might be all You guys online, you're greatly loved. We'd love to see you next week for baptism. Hope you'll join us. Thanks for joining in today.